2: Hi, and welcome to Theology Gals. I'm Colleen Sharp, and my co-host is Angela Whitehorn, and tonight we are joined by a special guest, Ray Rhodes, who is the author of The Life and Legacy of Susanna Spurgeon. And Ray, if you aren't familiar with him, is pastor of Grace Community Church in Dawsonville, Georgia, and also the founder of Nourished in the Word. And Uh, Ray, just before we get started on talking about Susie, could you tell everyone about Nourished in the Word?
1: Sure, sure. And uh, thank you, Colleen and Angela, for having me on your show. I've been looking forward to this for some time, so I appreciate you guys having me. Uh, Nourished in the Word is, uh, uh, of course, I'm a pastor of a church, and as a part of that work, I lead a ministry called Nourished in the Word, and with that, I teach uh, for Bible conferences and marriage retreats, and, and uh, any sort of teaching event. I've uh, done Susie uh, studies on the road as well. And so we're hoping that that's one of the thing that will, things that will come out of the book is more opportunities to speak to uh, groups about Charles and Susie's marriage or speak to ladies' groups about Susie or churches about their uh, their story. So that's what I do with in the Word.
2: Okay, so are you available as a conference speaker if people are looking, you know, to do a conference at their church or women's retreat or something?
1: I am. I'd be uh, happy to work with the group to set that up.
2: Great. And we're going to put in the episode notes how you can find Ray. So I guess really to get started, I would like to hear about why you decided to write this book.
1: Yeah, well, like a lot of uh, pastors and, and Christians, I've uh, been interested in Charles Spurgeon for a long time. I think I read the first big biography of him in uh, maybe 1991, the Lewis Drummond biography that came out, it's over a thousand pages. Uh, and so that uh, really wet my appetite, and so I spent the, the years following that from time to time dipping into Spurgeon biographies and learning more about him as a person, but not really much about his wife. Of course, the Spurgeon biographies would have just a picture of her, uh, not necessarily a literal picture, but the uh, word pictures about her and stories about their marriage. But it was pretty minimal. Uh, And then I finally picked up uh, the book by Charles Ray, uh, The Life of Susanna Spurgeon. It was done in 1903, the year of her death. And so a little bit more information about her there. But I pretty much left her uh, alone, and uh, late in life, I went back to school. I just graduated uh, the second time from seminary, 2016, from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and uh, with a D-Men in biblical spirituality, and my thesis topic was the role of Bible intake and prayer in the marriage of Charles and Susanna Spurgeon. So that uh, research led me to England, it led me to learning more about Susanna and increasingly becoming uh, aware of her own ministry and learning some surprising things about her. Uh, after I got out of seminary, I'm talking with uh, publishing companies, trying to think about uh, an angle uh, to write on, and it seemed that folks were most interested in a biography of Susanna Spurgeon since uh, there's never really been a full biography of her. And that led me to more study and uh, more interest, more fascination by this woman, uh, godly woman. And uh, I'm, now I'm I'm just sold uh, on her, and excited, as excited about her I think as I am Charles.
0: <laughs> the book is really full full of um, interesting things about Susie, um, and I just love you know highlighting a wife of a theologian that we all uh, know and um, read things that he's written and stuff like that. And um, it's really interesting to see how she supported him. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who Susie Spurgeon was?
1: Yeah, Susie was born in London, and all of her life uh, she was a city girl. She lived in London, and she also spent some significant time in Paris. So she was, uh, it gives you a bit of a picture of of what her her context is and in those cities Susie would have been I think considered at least middle class and some at some junctures in her life uh, maybe upper middle class so she was refined she was cultured she would have been trained in art and music and uh, she went to Paris specifically to learn French she spoke French fluently she was aware of the uh, the monuments and the the history of France and all of the all of the uh, sites in Paris. So that when she eventually married Charles, she served as his tour guide. They they spent their honeymoon in Paris. He didn't speak French, and he was pretty uh, excited about having his wife as a tour guide. So she uh, she grew up in the city. Her parents, her mother died at fifty seven, uh, which would have been in the uh, early, uh eighteen uh, 60s uh, when her mother died Susie was born in 1832 she was about two and a half years older than Charles Spurgeon so he married an older woman uh, he was 19 when he came to London and when he f- first expressed his interest in Susie he was not 19 years old so she's two and a half years older he's from the country she's from the city she's refined he's not they both are very educated very brilliant but uh, very different kinds of of people. Her dad was uh, primarily, uh, I think, a traveling salesman. Uh, He was involved in the mercantile world. He was a warehouseman. Uh, Her mother would have been a homemaker, but her mother seemed to have been ill with some sort of female issue, uh, you know, relatively young. Uh, Her own and her mother's sister died young as well. And so that may help us to understand a little bit about Susie's own affliction later in life. Uh, she was surrounded by people of means. Thomas Olney and his family, uh, Thomas and Unity and their children, uh, were uh, family with Susie by marriage. Susie's cousin married William only, uh, which uh, brought Susie into that world. And they were active and de- de- dedicated members of the new Park St- Chapel, which was the forerunner of the Metropolitan Tabernacle. So that's a little bit about Susie. Uh, just think of a refined city girl uh, with means and the ability to make humorous trips to Paris. Sounds like a pretty good deal.
2: <laughs> she really was a remarkable woman, and not just because she was married to Charles Spurgeon, but she really was a remarkable woman who was such a great... Um, partner for him in his ministry, but tell us some things about her.
1: Susie was not really converted until probably late 1852, though she grew up in a world that would have been very familiar with Bible reading, probably in a home where the Bible was read twice a day, uh, where books like The Pilgrim's Progress would have been a staple in those homes. So it was a very religious culture, very Christian culture at least on the exterior so she was a, she was knowledgeable about scripture but not converted until uh, the late 1852 just prior to uh, about a year prior to hearing Spurgeon preach for the first time so some unique things about susie uh, after that is once she met charles and read again the pilgrims progress and came under his tutelage uh, all of the years, really for pre-conversion, this is my theory, she had lots of Bible knowledge, and all of those years of study, even as an unconverted person, all of those years of Bible reading, uh, really when the Holy Spirit opened her heart to the gospel and she trusted in Christ and then was discipled by Charles, uh, she grew. Uh, her growth was rapid, Uh Within months, even Charles was stunned at her spirituality. Uh, so she's she's growing spiritually. She's a very gifted person. Uh, Susie wrote five standalone books uh, before she died. But even during her engagement, she was a major contributor and editor of a book that doesn't bear her name. It's still published published by Banner of Truth and also published by Soli de Gloria, and it's called Smooth Stones Taken from Ancient Brooks. Uh, Banner has it in one of those Puritan paperbacks, and Soli has it in a, in a hardback, I believe. So that uh, is a collection of uh, statements, quotes from the Puritan Thomas Brooks. So that gives her another book to her credit. And then, really, uh, her big work was the autobiography of Charles that was put together in the late 1890s after he, he died in 1892 and so I think in uh, 1897, 8, 9, and 1900 it was the four volumes that those years those volumes came out one at a time. She was a major contributor to that and she was uh, one she was a co-editor of that volume. So she was a prolific writer. She edited Spurgeon's monthly magazine after he died for a number of years. Uh, And she wrote some other booklets as well. So she was an author. Uh, She was a church planter. That was a big surprise to me that in 18 mid 1890s, after Spurgeon has died, she takes a trip away from home while her home is being painted and she goes to a place called Bexhill on Sea. She asks where the local Baptist chapel is, and uh, the person she asks says there's not one. And that bothers her. And she goes back home and she prays about that, thinks about it. Ultimately, she uh, sends a friend, a, a gentleman that had graduated from Spurgeon's College, it had been close to Charles and Susie. He had been a pastor for many years. She ultimately sent him to this city uh, to start this church that is Beulah Baptist Church, which still exists today and had the opportunity to worship with them <clears throat> last year. So uh, she, was, she led the way in planning a church, really sort of the unlikely church planter, an elderly, sickly, uh, widowed woman was instrumental in planning a church. But earlier in her marriage, something that really surprised me, because I always thought of her as kind of sitting at home knitting and as Spurgeon did all of his stuff, but uh, she was uh, quite the walker and hiker. Uh, She would would travel many miles uh, after she met Spurgeon walking to meet with him at a place called the Crystal Palace. And then early in their marriage, when she was uh, physically able to travel with him, she hiked most of the Swiss uh, mountain, the Alps mountain passes. So if you can put this picture in mind, Charles and his publisher, for example, sitting in a carriage, riding along, talking theology, and Susie Spurgeon out in front uh, examining uh, examining nature, and oftentimes so far out in front that they can't see her. So she was quite an adventurer like that, and, and quite athletic uh, to be able to hike those passes and uh, some pretty uh pretty high mountains there. So that was uh, pretty surprising to me as well. I mean there there are many things, and of course the book fund, in which was started in eighteen seventy five when she was homebound and afflicted. Ultimately, through that, she gave away two hundred thousand books. Two hundred thousand—that's a staggering number—books to poor pastors and help their families in many ways. I mean, that's, that's just a few things.
0: I really love that. um, You talk about Susie being a city girl. I'm a city girl myself. I love that she's a published author. Um, But, you know, we love also that she's um, a wife and a helper to her husband. Can you tell us some of the ways that she helped um, Charles in his ministry?
1: Yes. uh, First of all, I would say that she was totally committed to him and she was totally committed to his ministry, so committed that she com- she did not want to do anything that would hinder him in any way from his work, <clears throat> from his ministry. And so that meant that even her sickness, and she was sick a lot, as he was, but she committed that uh, not even her sickness would be used as an excuse to try to keep him from going out and preaching and serving in ministry in various capacities. So I think that was fundamental to their marriage. And she didn't do it uh, because Charles had her under his thumb. She didn't do it because, you know, uh, through gritted teeth, this was her joy. She she saw her life as really wrapped up in promoting his gospel-centered ministry. So she was a great support to him like that. Uh, as well, she was a great encouragement to him because Charles suffered from depression. Uh, he was uh, He faced depression to a, a lesser extent before he came to London and as he came to London. but after uh, you know they had twin boys in September of eighteen fifty six the, the year of their marriage, they were married in January. And so uh, the babies are born in September. So essentially they have a a honeymoon pregnancy and, and have children just uh, about nine months afterwards and about a month after that. uh, So she's still recovering from the stress of, of uh, bearing children, which was much different in Victorian era than today. And Charles is preaching at this uh, big music hall when, uh, Seven people are trampled to death, and 20-something other people are hospitalized, some seriously injured. And Charles collapses and, and really almost quits the ministry. Uh, so his depression deep. I mean, that's a story in itself, but his depression deepens after that. And she always believed that it was the, the, the at least the human cause of his death at 57 at such an early age. And so what she would do for him is she would do things like, uh, like uh, frame Bible verses and hang those in the home uh, where he could look up and see uh, you know, a promise from God. And Spurgeon wrote later in life the checkbook of faith, the bank of faith, and really that's a book of, of really trusting God's promises in hard times. So she, uh, she would do that, but also she would read to him. He would come home on a Sunday night and like many pastors might tell you, uh, at the end of a Sunday after talking to people, ministering to people, preaching the word, there is an exhaustion that's different from even a day of physical labor, uh, just the mental and emotional drain. And the old joke among pastors is uh, every Monday they they write out their resignation letter and then by Tuesday they, they put it back in the drawer and save it till next week. It's just a draining experience. And so she would read poetry to him. He loved George Herbert, and, uh, and that would cheer his heart. At other times, he would tell her that he was convicted because he felt his heart had been cold uh, or not as hot to go- towards God as he wanted it to be. And he would ask her to read Richard Baxter, uh, the author of, of many works, but the Reformed pastor being one. And he would do that and start weeping. And Susie says that she would weep as well. And the reason that she wept was because she felt his pain. And she wept simply because she loved him and she wanted to share his grief and suffering with him. So she was a true partner. And the pictures of him sitting in a chair and her uh, sitting on an ottoman or something to that effect at near, near his feet and just reading to him, just holding him. Uh, so she supported him like that. They, uh, they both supported one another through beautiful letters, love letters, uh, and that went all throughout their lives. Charles wrote to her every day that he was gone. He wrote, as we might imagine, a, a, a young couple. They would write to each other like a young couple in love, Uh, engaged perhaps, and they wrote like that to one another all of their lives. Uh, So they really never got over the romance of their relationship. They would write beautifully. Things like uh, Spurgeon would say, I've been daydreaming of you as I've been riding along, and and she would respond to that. Uh, And so she ministered him by assuring him through those letters that she was praying for him. Uh, At one point in his ministry, late in life during the downgrade controversy when the authority of Scripture was being undermined, even by some that had participated in his own college, Uh, so some of his own men were abandoning the faith, Uh, one of their donors to their ministry withdrew his support because he took the liberal side of things, and she got the the news first by way of a letter, and she laughed. And she wrote him and told him the story and said that she laughed. And the reason she laughed was because she trusted God, that even though this gentleman had removed financial support, that she knew God was their ultimate supporter and he could be trusted. And he got the letter and he said, I laugh with you. And so she supported him like that. He knew he didn't have a wife back at home, uh, wringing her hands in despair uh, broken uh, over all of this, but one who was trusting in God, though she was sick, though he was sick, though some of the finances were being uh, withdrawn from their work, uh, he knew that he had a woman that was uh, a wife that was stable and faithful to Christ, uh, that he could trust at home as well. So that's that's a few things. There are many more.
2: Wow. That's such an encouragement, too, I think, even for um, myself and and our listeners who are wives, just what that looked like for her to be a helper to her husband, but also just that they kept that that romance alive throughout their marriage. Can you tell us some, a little more just about their marriage in general?
1: Yeah, their marriage was uh, their marriage was tender. It's different, uh, like like anyone uh, or that we study from history. We want to put them in their context to better understand them. And so Spurgeon read the Puritans. He, he, he loved George Whitfield. And he came out of a line of people who thought of the ministry as really their service to God was displayed in their service to their ministry, first and foremost. And so preaching the word and ministering to the saints, that was his service to God. And it was the priority over everything else, even. Uh, I mean, there was... Uh, there was some man who took that to such a degree, men like John Wesley, that their family was neglected. But in Spurgeon's case, though he took that position, he loved his wife and he made sure that she was cared, uh, made sure that he was, uh, she was cared for. So they, they had a unique situation in our day and time. I mean, I've had people ask me the question, well, how can you say Spurgeon was such a good husband when he left Susie sick at home so often and then I try to paint them a picture again we tend to want to take what's happening in the way we think in our culture and project that backwards to uh, uh, whatever culture we're studying and imagine that they think and live and act exactly as we do and that's that's unfair Uh, that's and we can misunderstand and not really regard people as we ought by doing that. So I think that's important to understand us. But I tell these folks that ask me the question, well, I know that he loved her because one, he wrote to her every day. Uh, two, some of the things he would do for her were so tender and so sweet. It's convicting to me as a husband that I'm here with my wife. I see her almost every day except when I'm traveling, but I'm not traveling anything like Spurgeon did that, uh, and when I'm away, I'm not doing these sorts of things. Uh, he would send her gifts and, again, writing her every day. Uh, of course, if he had had an email and texting and all that, uh, he would have probably taken advantage of that. But I, I still think there was something to, in Spurgeon's mind about taking a pen and dipping it in ink and writing it out. And when he was too sick to write, and there was times he couldn't move his hands to write because of his uh, various uh, physical conditions, he would dictate letters to her. Reminds me of President Bush, whose uh, he, he funeral has been the last couple of days. One of the things he was most known for is writing thousands of letters, thanking people that helped him, maybe someone who just got the door for him. Well, Spurgeon was like that a lot too, but he received so many letters that he had to answer and he was committed to answering. But uh, especially with Susie, he took care of her. And in the Victorian era, even a middle-class family, so if you ladies consider yourself middle-class, then you would have had help in your home outside of your family. You would have had a hired servant, a household employee, at least one, maybe more, uh, to help you, and so that was true in Spurgeon's case. Pretty early on in their marriage, about maybe year two or three, they have their first servant and then by the time Spurgeon dies, they have at least nine or 10 servants. So we have dressmakers, we have cooks, we have gardeners, uh, you know, we have all sorts of people serving because the Spurgeon home was not just a normal home. It was an industry. Uh, Spurgeon had a secretary with him at all times. Uh, not a lady, but a guy, uh, Joseph Harrell, primarily, sometimes he would have two secretaries with him, uh, because he's, you know, Spurgeon is writing a lot, uh, He's reading a lot. He's ministering a lot. He's traveling a lot. Uh, But he made sure that she was cared for. And these servants, uh, you know, if you've seen any of the television series, Downton Abbey, uh, the relationship between the servants and the family is is distant. I mean, there's some cases when it's closer than others. But in the Spurgeon household, they were like family. And in fact, one of their household servants became uh, Susie's uh, best friend and took over the book fund, the pastor's book fund that she managed after Susie died. And so they, they just took care, they took care of one another like that. And on one occasion, when Susie was recovering from surgery, uh, Spurgeon, and they were moving as well. They had torn down their old house and it wrecked the new house on the same spot. And Spurgeon was out buying items for the house, something my wife would not allow me to do. But Susie obviously uh, trusted him. And he bought her a wardrobe, uh, which is uh, like a stand up closet and he told her in a letter he sent her that he 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 hoped that her all of her clothes would hang there, and uh every thread of them was precious to him for her sake. and that's the sort of thing that he that he did for her, and that's the sort of affection that she received, and she gave back to him. So I'm going a little long with that. You may want me to pause and <laughs> and uh, and jump in here.
2: No, that that was. I'm glad that you were able to to share all of that.
0: You know, you talk a lot about Susie's suffering, Ray. How did suffering play into her faith and trust in God?
1: Yeah, she. Um, there's really no evidence that she suffered that much uh, until about 1868 is sort of when trouble hit in a a way that affected her the rest of her life. They had the babies, the twin boys in 1856. And I was able to see the uh, membership records at the New Park Street Chapel and at the Metropolitan Tabernacle that have uh, her being active in attendance for most of those years. But at some point in 1867, her attendance starts going down. And in 1868, it's basically non-existent, And she's rarely ever in church again. Uh, after 1868 Uh, that's how serious her affliction is and we don't know the exact nature of it Uh, that's the probably the number one question i've received from day one when i announced i was writing this we'll find out what her problem was (laughs) but we uh, what we do know is that she had surgery by the most famed gynecologist of the day and uh, the sort of issues that she describes would lend us to know that uh, almost with, hundred, with, with 100% certainty, there was some significant female issue that affected her the rest of her life. Uh, one of my theories was endometriosis because of the sort of pain that she felt throughout her body. Uh, but that's a theory, and others have surmised that as well. So she was so sick at times that she couldn't get out of bed. Uh, She she described those times, those dark times, as not being able to raise her head nor her hands. Uh, So she is hurting. She is sick at times without Charles as well, Uh, of course, surrounded by help, nevertheless. And so the way she survived that was by looking to Christ. And when she was able to rise from the bed, uh, Susie read the Bible through every year But not only that, uh, she meditated on the scripture. She would choose small chunks of scripture to meditate on. and She actually preferred that to her faster reading of the scripture, but she was committed to reading through the Bible every year to have a good working knowledge of the scripture, which she had and was able to interact with. But she would take smaller chunks and she would meditate on it. And if you you ladies have read uh, any of her devotionals, that's what she'll do. She'll take a verse or two. And then she will give devotional music uh, thoughts on on those verses, and that 's the way she lived her life every day. She would write down her thoughts and then she would read from other books also so she was very familiar with uh, the theology of the Puritans, and when she gave books away to pastors, she made sure that they the books they received were sound in doctrine they were reflective of Puritan uh, theology, you know Charles and Susie didn't agree with the Puritans on every point, but in essence, their teaching on the gospel, uh, especially John Bunyan and his journey through Pilgrim's Progress, uh, was the sort of material they wanted to give to others and the sort of material that they read themselves. So she she read the Bible, she meditated on the scripture, she prayed the scripture, she read good books, and when, though she couldn't go to church, she would go into the study with Charles on Saturday after uh, Saturday evenings and he would minister the gospel to her. And so she, she had her pastor at her home and he taught her the word of God uh, as he's teaching it to his church as well. So she even assisted him. She would read commentaries to him uh, and assist him in other ways during his sermon prep. So that's really how she... Uh, she made it she was committed to the, the spiritual disciplines to biblical spirituality but also encouraged on by charles to be as active as she could possibly be do it do what she could do uh, why, uh, when she could do it and that ultimately led to the book fund in 1875 uh, with the release of Spurgeon's Lectures to My Students, Volume 1. And she was so excited about that book, she wanted to give a copy to every pastor in England. And Charles encouraged her to, to do just that, to lead the way. And so she uh, pulled together some coins that she had saved for a rainy day, and and that began the book fund. And over again from 1875 till her death in 1903, she gave away 200,000 books to poor pastors, many of them by Charles, but not exclusively by him. She gave away other good books as well, and she really developed a burden for pastors and their families. Many pastors were very poor. Uh, they didn't have clothes. Uh, I mean, they, didn't have, they had clothes, but they didn't have uh, really decent clothes. They were threadbare. Their children were threadbare. Uh, they barely had enough food to live on. Their income was so low. Health care was difficult. So they just suffered. And, And those pastors could not imagine buying a new book when their children were hungry or when their wife needed doctor's care. So they couldn't afford to go. Buying a book was a luxury, but Susie didn't see it as a luxury. She saw books as a necessity that if she could relieve the burden of those pastors in some way, by giving them material that would help them to preach that the churches would be stronger and the gospel would spread. So she would benefit the pastor and they would receive these books like a child on Christmas morning, opening a gift under the tree. They were so excited to get these books from her and the personal notes that she would write. And uh, sometimes she was send clothing. There's times she was send funds. She, she ministered to these families. If she could relieve that pastor's burden some way, then she could help that family and, and the gospel would be helped as well. And so she encouraged churches to, you know, it's difficult for the pastor to preach and to minister to his church when he's burdened down with bills and expenses and, a, and hungry children and a wife that's needy. And uh, there's no real spiritual food for him. He has his Bible, but no help to understanding the Bible. And that really took hold of her heart. She saw how much books had meant to Charles And she wanted others to have that experience as well. And so her engaging in service uh, when she was afflicted, I think, was a lifesaver for her. She says as much. Charles says as much as well. So not only the sort of the spiritual disciplines we think of, but she put her hand out to work. She didn't make excuses because of her affliction. And she served God faithfully. And like I said, later in life, uh, her health improved somewhat from time to time. She actually planted that church and wrote those books. And and, and a lot of that was Charles pushing her forward uh, and encouraging her outward. And if she had not had a husband like that, we would not uh, have the body of literature that Susie has left us, that we would not be reading this book on her life. But her husband wanted her to be active. He wanted her to serve God faithfully. And yet at times, but he watched over her at times he would see how stressed she might be with the responsibilities that she had taken on and how it was affecting her physically. And so Spurgeon would come in and exercise veto, his veto power, and he would put a stop to it for a time that his wife could rest. And he would, he would take over even some of the duties of the book fund to minister to his wife like that. So uh, yeah, the means of grace that God has provided plus serving God faithfully. And, And there's really no evidence that Susie was a complainer, uh, though she heard a lot. And she was very honest. You read her books, her two books on the book fund, and she is very honest with her readers about her suffering, about her loneliness after Spurgeon dies, about her sadness and uh, the difficulties that she faced, and wondering at times, you know, like the psalmist, "Where, where are you, God? Your servant is needy, but never doubting his faithfulness and trusting in his promises.
2: You know, one of the reasons why our podcast exists is to encourage women in the study of God's Word and sound theology, because a lot of times, and this isn't true in all churches, but a lot of times the books out there for ladies are are not ones that are encouraging really knowing the Word of God and and studying theology. And so one thing I'm just so encouraged by is that she was such a student of Scripture, that um, reading through the Bible and meditating, and um, even reading the Puritans. What are some other things that our listeners today can learn from, or be encouraged by, from Susie's life?
1: Yeah, and I think I think you hit on an important point there. Uh, uh, you hit on an important point there. I think there is a there's a Darth of of good literature that. Um, is available, and there's not a there's really not a lack of good literature, but you're right. I think uh, some of the things that 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 is being sold to women and that they're drawn to is uh, very superficial. If you just look at the category, I mentioned to you earlier that Susie, one of the categories she's doing really well in is women's issues, and you look at some of the books that are being uh, really promoted to women. Those are books that are not helpful. <laughs> uh, in fact, they, they shouldn't be there at all. Uh, so women need to, to be drawn to good, sound biblical theology. And Susie is an example to that for your listeners, I think, is don't be content with this, the fluffy stuff that's at the front of the Christian bookstore often. That is sort of the number one title, and I, I won't call any titles or names out, but uh, you know some of the the top books uh, right now are books that are not helpful to your listeners. But Susie, again, she looked for substantive theology. You don't have to go back to the Puritans to do that. I mean, we're blessed in our country with some great preaching, some great writing, some great teaching some great books. It's just a matter of developing biblical discernment. And I think all of us, men and women, we need that. We need biblical discernment so that we can compare what is being offered to the scripture. And a lot of literature offered to men and women is very mystical. It's very uh, much sort of an emotionally driven uh, perspective but you want to look for that which is uh, faithful to the Scripture that God has spoken in His Word, and uh, the Scripture is the authority, and it is communicating the character of God, the purposes of God, the will of God, the Word of God. And so Susie is an example to your listeners. Uh, don't, don't settle for what is being peddled in many places to ladies uh, in the book world but dig a little deeper. Ask your pastor. If you're in a good church with a godly pastor, he's going to know something about books. Say, so what do you think I should be reading right now? Ask your husband, what do you think I should be reading right now? And then do your own research. Uh, find, you know, there's, some, there's some great women writers, some great men writers. Do your own research. Find out what some people you really look up to are reading. And you can find, we are blessed. Our age is tremendously blessed with both the recovery of books from antiquity, as well as guys and gals that are writing new material that's just excellent. And so be a reader. Read the Bible like Susie did. Read it through every year uh, or read it through regularly, the whole thing. And then meditate on small chunks of scripture as she did. Seek God faithfully in prayer. Pray the scripture. Uh, Don't complain about your lot in life. You know, what, what do we have? That's not a gift. And what do we really deserve? Any of us, every uh, breath that we take is grace. Every uh, bad day we have is less than it could be in, in its badness. (laughs) Uh, God is good to us and he's been faithful to us. We can trust him. And so We all suffer. Uh, If you if the three of us were to just start opening our hearts right now and saying, you know, what's going on in our lives and start pouring ourselves out on this broadcast for your listeners to hear, we would would probably all start weeping uh, over as we as we bear one another's burdens together. Everyone is suffering in some way. Everyone is hurting in some way we can either sort of become inward and isolate ourselves and pull away from the body of Christ and pull away from the truth and feel sorry for ourselves, or we can press forward by faith in Christ. And Susie's life tells me, I'm I'm convicted when I read her story. I mean, this is a widow. uh, For Much of her greatest productivity came after Spurgeon's death. This widow lady who's afflicted, is serving God more faithfully than I do a relatively healthy uh, man uh, earlier in my life than she was later in her life. And if she can do that, uh, you know, I can do that, not in my own strength, but through, through Christ, I can serve him more faithfully than I do. And I want to. She loved the Lord. She loved the gospel. She saw what grace God had bestowed upon her. And one of her devotional books is so moving to me. She she just highlights a portion of Scripture, uh, Because He Loves You, uh, and she emphasizes that throughout. Why are you going through this suffering? Or why are you having this bounty at this juncture in your life? Whether it's suffering or bounty, always remember that this is happening, this is going on because God loves you. He loves you so much As one author put it, he's willing to do whatever it takes to make you holy. That's how much he loves you. And so our suffering works to our sanctification, and our joys work to our sanctification. And God is working all things out for his glory and our good. And so whatever you're facing right now, uh, Colleen, Angela, your listeners, whatever we're facing right now, just preface it with those words from Scripture, because he loves me I'm facing uh, the Susie's life is an example of that.
2: What a beautiful encouragement to wrap up on. I was very encouraged by everything you just said right there. Well, thank you, Ray, so much for joining us. We're going to link in the episode notes anything that was mentioned. We highly recommend you go out and get this book. Ask your husband to give it to you for Christmas if you haven't picked it up yet. I know many of our listeners have already read it or they have it sitting on their nightstand and it's next on their list. And I know that it will be an encouragement to the ladies, to our listeners that read it just as it was and has been for me.
1: I pray so. I, I pray that it will be. And uh, thank you, Colleen. Thank you, Angela. It's been it's been lovely uh, being with you. Uh, uh, you guys are doing great work, encouraging women to, to dig deeper in the faith and, and study. And I, I would just say this, if I could, before I go, that uh, Susie's greatest legacy to us is that She spent the rest of her years after Charles died, investing in his legacy, uh, investing in making sure that his work was distributed around the world, translated in various languages. And I don't think we can underestimate how important she was to Charles Spurgeon. I don't think we have the Charles Spurgeon that we have today. If he had not had Susie as his wife, Uh, I think he still would have been a brilliant guy. He'd been successful and all of the above. But I don't think that we walk into a bookstore and everyone in the bookstore knows who Charles Spurgeon is, or there's Charles Spurgeon books at the Christian bookstore, and he's still one of the best selling Christian authors out there today. And that we love him like we do if he did not have his wife. So I would just say this to the, your ladies too do not underestimate how God will use you to bless your husband and to bless uh, his ministry and giving yourself to something bigger than yourself. Uh, The ministry of Jesus is investing in generations to come. And so when I pick up a Charles Spurgeon book from the moment I started studying Susie for the rest of my life, I'm going to say Lord, thank you for raising up Susie Spurgeon. We have Charles today because you gave Charles Spurgeon this wife.
0: Wow, that is really encouraging.
2: even even with reading the book, just um, talking to you tonight has just been so encourage encouraging and I'm grateful mm-hmm. that you wrote this book because I do think this is such an encouragement to so many of us just learning about about her and how the Lord used her
1: Well, thank you. Thank you again for having me on. Thank you for the ministry that you ladies have, just as important as Susie's virgins.